0: Welcome to Team World Visions Beyond the Walls podcast. For Black History Month, we will be featuring short biographies of important figures in Black history at the beginning of each episode. This week, we're learning about Ida B. Wells Barnett, a prominent journalist, activist, and researcher in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, a powerful writer. Wells-Barnett used her skills as a journalist to shed light on the brutal conditions of Jim Crow and its injustices on African-Americans throughout the Southern United States. Ida Bell Wells was born in Holly Springs, Mississippi on July 16, 1862. Born on a plantation during the Civil War, she was sold away from her family as a young girl. After the Civil War, Wells-Barnett enrolled at Rust College where her father was a trustee during the reconstruction era. In 1878, a yellow fever epidemic hit her hometown while Wells Barnett was on a visit with her grandmother. The disease took both of Wells Barnett's parents and her infant brother. Left to raise her remaining brothers and sister, Wells Barnett became a teacher so that she could keep her family together. Eventually, Wells Barnett moved her siblings to Memphis, Tennessee, continuing to work as an educator. In 1884, Wells-Barnett filed a lawsuit against a train car company in Memphis for unfair treatment. She had been thrown off of a first-class train despite having a ticket. Although she won the case on the local level, the ruling was eventually overturned in federal court. Her reaction to the higher court's decision revealed her strong convictions on civil rights and religious faith as she responded. I felt so disappointed because I had hoped such great things from my suit for my people. Oh God, is there no justice in this land for us? After the lynching of one of her friends, Wells Barnett turned her attention to the white mob violence and injustice of Jim Crow in the American South. She shone a light on the myriad of ludicrous charges for which black men were lynched and set out to investigate several cases, including the people's grocery lynchings in 1892. She wrote several columns in black-owned newspapers, Free Speech and Headlight. Her piece about the false accusations of rape and subsequent arrest of William Offutt in 1892 enraged the white local residents, who burned her co-owned Free Speech Press and drove her business partner from Memphis. On vacation at the time in New York, Wells was unable to return to Memphis and had to start a new life in Harlem. On October 26, 1892, Wells began to publish her research on lynching in a pamphlet titled Southern Horrors, lynch law in all its phases. Having examined many accounts of lynchings due to the alleged rape of white women, she concluded that Southerners cried rape as an excuse to hide their real reasons for lynchings, Black economic progress, which threatened white Southerners with competition, and white ideas of enforcing Black skin as a second-class status in American society. Wells Barnett's documentation of lynching captured the attention of Northerners who knew little about the practice and often accepted the untrue but common explanation that black men were deserving of this fate. During this period at the turn of the century, southern states, starting with Mississippi in 1890, passed laws or new constitutions to disenfranchise most black people and many poor white people through the use of poll taxes, literacy tests, and other devices. Wells-Barnett recommended that Black people use arms to defend against lynching and advised that Black people move away from problematic areas to protect their families. In 1893 and 94, Wells-Barnett embarked on a tour of Britain to spread awareness of lynching and its horrors in a campaign. Already shocked by reports of lynching in America, she found a sympathetic audience in Britain. Due to her efforts, the London Anti-Lynching Committee was established reportedly the first anti-lynching organization in the world. As a result of her lecture tours in Britain, Wells Barnett received significant coverage in the British and American press, gained extensive recognition and credibility, and an international audience of white supporters to her cause. In 1895, Wells Barnett married Ferdinand Barnett, a prominent Chicago attorney, civil rights activist, and journalist. Like Wells, he spoke widely against lynchings and for the civil rights of African-Americans. Together, the couple had four children. Having settled in Chicago, Wells continued her anti-lynching work while becoming more focused on the civil rights of African-Americans. She worked with national civil rights leaders to protest the 1893 World's Columbian Exposition, was active in the National Women's Club movement, and ultimately ran for the Illinois State Senate but lost to Republican Party candidate Adalbert Roberts. As a prominent black suffragist, Wells Barnett held strong positions against racism, violence, and lynching that brought her into direct conflict with leaders of largely white suffrage organizations. Nevertheless, Wells Barnett remained active in the women's rights movement. She was a founder of the National Association of Colored Women's Club, which was created to address the intersections of African-American civil rights and women's suffrage. And although she was in Niagara Falls for the founding of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, or the NAACP, her name is not mentioned as an official founder. Late in her career, Wells Barnett focused on urban reform in the growing city of Chicago and was a founder of the Negro Fellowship League, the Alpha Suffrage Club, and the Third Ward Women's Political Club, all organizations that promoted the voting rights of Black Americans and taught them how to engage at a civic level. Ida Wells Barnett died from kidney failure in Chicago on March 25, 1931. She is buried in Oakwood Cemetery on Chicago's South Side. The Ida B. Wells Memorial Foundation and the Ida B. Wells Museum have been established to protect, preserve, and to promote Wells's legacy. To find out more about the Ida B. Wells Foundation, go to www.ibwfoundation.org.
1: Those are the words of Chantal Hayes Randall, my colleague at World Vision. Each week during Black History Month, we will bring you more spotlights on African-American individuals and their stories. In today's episode, you'll get to hear from a longtime runner and friend of Team World Vision, Emily Johansson. She's been moving her feet for vulnerable kids for the last several years, and just like so many of you, she said yes to running her first Chicago Marathon being completely new to running. But with a little bit of peer pressure and a whole lot of faith, she's continued to say yes year after year. Fast forward to the beginning of 2021, just a few weeks ago, Emily completed her 30th birthday run, running one mile every hour for 30 hours, all with the lofty goal of getting 30 kids sponsored. Emily has seen God do some amazing things through her fundraising throughout the years. As you will hear, she actually helps demystify some of the fears of not only asking for people to donate to clean water, but also tells us about her wins and struggles with inviting people into sponsorship. She, like many of you, have made the jump to participating in our sponsorship invitationals. We hope that you feel encouraged and motivated to just keep moving, keep asking, and keeping the faith this winter. I'm Lindsay Dean Ratchford. Welcome Beyond the Walls with Team World Vision. Emily, welcome beyond the walls with Team World Vision. Thanks, LDR. I appreciate you having me. Oh my gosh. No, it's a joy. It's so crazy and fun to really get to talk with runners across the country after you cheer for them from afar and hear their stories. And, you know, we get to know each other online and things. But it's great to see your face and actually get to sit down and chat today.
2: Yeah, the beauty of technology, right? We're all embracing it to a new level right now. (laughs)
1: So we got to rewind, my friend, and I just need a little bit of the goodness of your story. How did you get involved with Team world Vision?
2: Yeah, so let me take you let me take you way back. Uh, I graduated from college in 2013 and moved to Chicago, and um, ended up finding an apartment that was right down the block from the actual marathon course. So Chicago Marathon Day, 2013, my roommate and I woke up and we were like, "What in the world is happening outside? Like, there's yelling." There's, like, people in the street. Like, what is happening? So we just, like, threw our sweats on and walked down the block. And we were right on Sheridan, um, coming north, you know, first couple miles. People are still looking pretty good. And, uh, and I was just so inspired on that day. And it was a gorgeous day. And I just remember looking at all of these people, different shapes, different sizes. And I just said to myself, this is incredible. I will never do this. <laughs> In the exact same breath i was like these people are great that's not for me so it was a great day i stood out there for like hours and watched all these folks come through and it was just like such a cool day then fast forward to 2015 a good friend of mine at my church decided to run the marathon with team world vision and i was like great for you dude like that's super i'll be out there in october cheering you on but you're nuts And you know, went out in 2015 to cheer him on, and again, the same inspiration kind of washed over me. And then again, this is great, I will never do this. And so, fast forward to launch day at church that winter at some point, and I happened to be sitting next to my friend in church and Josh Folkerts hops up on that page and uh and gives his pitch at the beginning of church and he says you know just come down for an info session after church today and my friend rob is literally elbowing me in the ribs and i was literally like you no you don't understand like i do not run i played softball in high school i could run around a diamond and then i was done like i'm good for that he's like just come to the meeting so i was like oh whatever I'm going to brunch with you afterwards so I like I have to wait around I guess. <laughs> so I walked myself down to the front and God was just pulling on my heartstrings mm-hmm. that day.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: before I knew it, signing forms and getting pumped up and you know was really inspired by the cause of course I was inspired by him when he did it the year before. I I gave to his fundraising as well and you know I knew it was for a good cause but that fear was definitely still there. And so I started, run two minutes, walk one. Mm -hmm. Run three minutes, walk one. Mm -hmm. And then I could gradually build myself up to run consistently. Mm -hmm. And, you know, low and slow, I I wasn't going anywhere fast. and uh, But every time I laced up my shoes, the first thing I thought of was, this is for the kids. This is not for me. I was continuously defying the limits that I previously put on myself. Mm -hmm. And to this day, every time I lace up my shoes, those are the two thoughts that go through my mind. It's just been the biggest blessing of my life. It's completely transformed my life. It's transformed my faith. It's transformed Mm -hmm. the people that I spend my time with. And I just, I'm so grateful for my friend elbowing me in the ribs that one day at church saying, just go listen to what God has to say
1: for you. So I'd love to hear from you too. I mean, you've been at this since 2016. That means that you've been fundraising since 2016. You've been running miles and talking about money for a long time. Um, What have been some of your fundraising wins and maybe why? Why do you think they've worked? The biggest
2: thing that I keep thinking about For fundraising is not to say no for anybody and I think it kind of goes back to that fear Mm -hmm. um, seems to be a theme of you know being that guy like oh she's asking me for money again or uh, money is an awkward subject people don't really like to talk about it people don't like to ask for it People don't like to push people to do more with their money. Mm. And the thing that I've just come back to is is not to say no, not to let that fear control how I go about my fundraising, not to let my assumptions for somebody and where they are in their life and maybe where they are in their finances say no for for them ahead of time. Mm -hmm. And truly some of the best surprises throughout this entire journey have been through fundraising and the least likely people are sometimes the most generous which is really incredible and you know you yeah. think about you know what if I hadn't made that ask or what if what if I hadn't you know asked them for coffee or you know in our case now had them on first zoom conversation and a, a couple times people have asked for more details and then you kind of get that imposter syndrome of like, Oh, do I know enough about the organization? Can I speak Mm. to the good that they're doing? Is this something that is even applicable to them? Why did I choose them? So there's been a lot, a lot of that, but I think that that's not for us to decide. It's, it's for God to decide. And if it's the right time for them, he'll speak to them and he'll put it on their heart. And the other thing about, you know, the no's are going to come and just because you say no, it, I'd, rather, I'd rather them say no than me not try in the first place. And you're, you're saying no for them. And uh, I've, I've gotten yeah. used to the word no. I'm a two-wing three on the Enneagram, so I've got that achiever in yeah. me. Yeah. I don't like to hear no, and I don't like to not meet goals. And mm-hmm. it's taken a little bit of time to get used to no. But no doesn't mean no forever. No also means not right now. And I think that perseverance to keep coming back like, hey, you didn't give to me last year, but maybe this year's different for you. Let me let me go make that ask one more time. And again, the worst they can say is no. That's the biggest sort of mantra that I come back to, just not to say no for anyone. And that's been really, really powerful for me in my fundraising and my sponsorship asks as well.
1: Well, and speaking of sponsorship, so I think a lot of our runners are aware, but maybe if they're moving their feet right now, um, there are two ways to get kids clean water. There, there are two ways, right? So there's this cash fundraising, like we've been talking about every $50, clean water for one person, life-changing clean water, right? And every dollar counts. But then there's this whole other strong arm of fundraising we have through, through sponsorship. Um, and I know you now are taking on Berlin Marathon so from the streets of Chicago I think you maybe run Detroit and some others in there but now going international with our sponsorship Mm -hmm. invitationals team now this is a different type of ask so same same goal in mind you know water and fullness of life but now a different way of getting there through sponsorship so I'm curious how did you make the decision to take that leap towards sponsorship invitationals and inviting people into sponsorship.
2: Yeah, for sure. Like you said, it's a bigger ask. And again, it was a step through fear mm-hmm. because not only are you now asking for a financial commitment, but, but, but you're, you're asking for a commitment for mm-hmm. a month to month to month, $39 that goes towards this kiddo and their community. And I think it's a little bit easier for people, especially when, you know, there's a, there's a race to be run and there's a date that you're, that you kind of have a goal for, for people to say, oh, look at you doing this awesome thing. Let me contribute. Here you go. Thanks. Have a nice race. Maybe I'll see you next year. But this is a, a commitment to invite somebody into your family. Mm-hmm. And that's the way that, that my husband and I look at it. You're inviting somebody into your family. This is a kiddo that you get to call your own and you get to communicate with and you get to see how their lives are being impacted by your gift. It definitely came with a little trepidation. Berlin was my first, is is my first um, sponsorship invitational. And so I knew I kind of had to approach it in a different way. That was cool. That was an interesting challenge for me too, you know. Doing water over and over again is great, but there are also so many other things that can be given through sponsorship. And the thing I really love about World Vision is how they work with people specifically in those communities who know the community, who know the specific needs of the community, Mm -hmm. and through these sponsorship gifts can give them exactly what they need. It's equitable, right? Mm -hmm. And also that the goal is, just like with our water projects, not to be there. Forever to be able yeah. to empower the people in that community. The thing that really stuck out to me and why I chose to sponsor my first child back in 2016 um, I'm, a, I'm a teacher here in Chicago. And um, the biggest thing that stuck out with me with, with clean water and then for sponsorship is that so many, specifically females and children, aren't able to receive proper education because mm-hmm. they are walking every single day to go and get dirty water. Mm
1: -hmm. And then
2: as the girls get older and how they're not able to attend school when they're on their cycle because they Mm -hmm. don't have the resources to do that. Mm -hmm. And so when education becomes part of the mix and we can really speak to that, oh Mm -hmm. wow, does my heart, oh my goodness. It's just Mm -hmm. like to think about my kiddos that I teach now and all the Mm -hmm. struggles that they're going through just in life and where I teach but then other kids just not having the opportunity to have the basic human right of an education because they're going to get dirty water on a daily basis. I definitely came at it from an education standpoint because everybody deserves that education. So the education piece is really huge and I've been able to speak to that a little bit with my sponsorship asks. Now I also received a letter from my sponsor kid recently, which kind of rocked me because we know that COVID is a is a pandemic mm-hmm, and that yeah, everybody's yes. going through it. But she wrote to me specifically about the education that they were receiving about social distancing and wearing masks and the fact that we're going through that same struggle and she can speak to that. And she told me, make sure you're staying six feet apart, make sure you're wearing your mask.
1: Mm-hmm, I was mm-hmm. just
2: like, wow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to know that in theory is one thing, but then to receive correspondence about it is is okay. made it really real for me. So, you know. The, the hygiene element of it, the, the safety, the security, um, and of course the education element of it has been, has, you know, it's taken it to the next level for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, kind of like what I was discussing before, our sponsorship asks have been conversations. It hasn't yeah. been, mm-hmm. let me just post to social media and hope, what ha- hope and see what happens. Or um, it's been intentional discussions reaching out to people, connecting with them where they are in their lives and saying, Hey, would you be open to this? And it's been a really awesome way to, especially right now when we can't be together, get together and have conversations and get together and talk about what's been on your heart and get together Mm -hmm. about, you know, this is the ministry that I really love and let me tell you about it. Mm -hmm. And is that something you'd be interested in? And, you know, sometimes it takes a couple follow-ups once you've had those conversations and sometimes it, you know, Um, I'm just circling back. Any other thoughts? Any other questions? I'm here for you. And, you know, God has moved through that. Race weekend was incredible. And I, to be honest, you know, at the beginning of COVID, we had some issues that we were working through on our own here at home. And um, some of that fire wasn't there. And then uh, as as we started training for Pomoja, it kind of got relit within me. And I had some conversations with Josh Fly, who's a great resource as well. I just, something in my heart knew that God had a big plan for the weekend and a big plan for sponsorship.
1: So what would you tell others like yourself, whether it's big cash goals or sponsorship goals what would you tell them as just as advice about setting that goal and going after it?
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, I would say, first of all, go big. Why not? Why not? Um, and again, there's probably some fear in there. Uh, the, the goal for Berlin Runners was 20. And mm-hmm. I, I had this 30th birthday a couple weeks ago and I wanted to sort of tie in my 30th. And so I went on there and said, should I get 30, try and get 30 kids sponsored? And there was a little, ooh, what if you, what if you fail? So what if you fail or what if you get 30 kids sponsored? Like how cool would that be? Hands shaking as we're t- typing in the three zero in there and hitting, and, hitting and save. Why not? Why not make big change? Why not you? Why not God? He can do impossible things. So yeah. I would first and foremost just say, And, you know, we say this at World Vision all the time, but you got, you got a goal, go and double it. Mm -hmm. The fact that, I mean, I thought of getting 20 kids sponsored. I was like, no way. I'm never going to do that. But why why not? Go big and see what happens.
1: And you're right. Even with goal setting, people always say if you're, if you want a certain goal, you have to shoot higher than that. You know, it's like that 10 times kind of mm-hmm. analogy or figure, you know, whatever you think it's going to take to get there. You got to work 10 times as hard or make 10 times the invitations or set your sights 10 times higher so that you can get to where you want to be. And again, we hope that we go all the way towards that high high mark. But like you said, now that you're shooting for 30, it makes your 20 much more doable in a way. Right. You know, like it's it's interesting and I think too there's a there's a God gap there. There's a generosity gap there that I've found the higher the goals, you know, the higher the commitment
0: mm-hmm. of for
1: myself, but also for then those around me that they're like, oh, well, you've got a bigger goal. And like you're saying, maybe I actually have more to give. It's actually inviting a larger narrative. It's inviting totally. in more generosity. And it really is crazy to see what God does, like you said, yeah. in the midst huge of things, huge things happen
2: time and time again. I've seen it from people here in the in Chicago that I know. Just God-sized goals, right? Mm-hmm. And it's incredible to see Him moving through all of that. So that's that's sort of the first thing that I would say. And then um, I, I would also just say, like, give yourself a little grace to feel defeated every once in a while. Like, yeah. it's not it's not always going to pan out. It's you you might get somebody who slams a door in your face, or you might get <laughs> ghosted via text a thousand times and like that is okay again Mm -hmm. we're planting seeds right so it's not personal wear his hands and feet i would just say just keep asking keep up the fight one foot in front of the other And then, again, just to go back to just don't say no for anybody. It's especially right now so easy just to say, like, oh, I know what's going on with them. You know, they had a job loss or somebody's somebody's ill or, um, you know, they're in transition in this, that, and the other way. Mm -hmm. That's not for us to decide. It's our job to invite and to converse and to share our heart Mm -hmm. and the ministry that we love and have devoted so much to. And the rest is up to them, and the rest is up to God, and yeah. um, and that's just come back time and time again when I get anxious about sending that text or get anxious about making that phone call, and it's it's not for me to decide.
1: And I figure there's probably a lot of things that uh, are a lot worse for to that you could get your the door slammed in your face. Over Absolutely, and asking asking to help kids and to build a stronger world, you know, right.
2: And like, be that guy. If you're that guy, who cares? Like you have, you're, you're have a passion for a ministry. Like, good for you. That's fantastic. Um, right. I, yeah, I'd rather, rather be that guy than, you know, somebody who doesn't, Others. doesn't do anything because they're afraid. Right.
1: Yeah. I just, I really, I appreciate that posturing in your spirit and just that reminder of, is it better to shoot the moon and miss mm-hmm. or to just not shoot at all? And what's, you know, God's given us a life to live. So why not live it? Why not go yeah, big? shot shoot yep. your shot. Yeah, you gotta do it. And we just so passionately care about our runners too. And we know that this is a hard time for everybody. So to keep people moving and keep people healthy in the midst of it all, that's our goal. So
2: I mean it it has been a mental uh mental health check for me too, just to be able to keep running and have that consistency. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. It's so, so helpful just to say, well, I can still lace up my shoes and go outside by myself. Like, <laughs> that's, I can do that. I can do yeah. that every day. It's there for me. So that's, that's been another, another blessing of running that I never thought I, I would ever be like, oh, I'm going to go for a run. That's going to be great. I'm going to feel so much better <laughs> afterwards. <Never. laughs> uh,
1: a long road you've traveled since 2013 here in the Cowbells on wow. the streets totally. of Chicago. Totally. <laughs> It's so good to be with you and just appreciate this time and really all of these nuggets, um, all of this, yeah, nuggets that people can take away and hopefully be encouraged by as they shoot their shot, as Alexander Hamilton would say. Yeah, there you go, coming out on a Hamilton quote. Love it. Not sure. throwing away my shot. That's right. Let's not throw <laughs> it away. We've got it. Got to use it. So, yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us this week. Remember that God really does do amazing things when we step through fear. And we have to acknowledge that that might mean something different while we live through these days during a pandemic. Next week, we're feeling all the feels as we have an awesome conversation with Chantal Hayes-Randall, Ashley Colquitt-Finley, and myself. While all three of us have different stories, there's one thing that we all have in common. We are all moms to three of the greatest kiddos ever. I mean, we're not biased or anything. (laughs) You're not going to want to miss this heartfelt conversation. As always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share. We'll see you next week.